Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now. Your inside look into the best of vice. It's Friday, February 15th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking about YouTube and how the platform's model actually helps perpetuate conspiracy theories. YouTube has long positioned itself as an alternative platform to mainstream media. But researchers are now starting to understand that the structure of YouTube as a platform helps contribute to conspiracy and far-right content creation. Many YouTubers have realized that fringe content is successful on the site, and because they're rewarded with engagement and views, they're incentivized to continue to create more and more extreme content. I sat down with Motherboard reporter Caroline Haskins for the full story, and to learn why, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be an easy fix. So, as we know, the proliferation of far-right extremist content and conspiracy theories and fake news on the internet has become a pretty big problem, a pretty well-talked-about issue. And you specifically wrote about YouTube as a platform and how structurally, as a model, it helps to perpetuate this type of content. Can you start us off with just what you found? We focused on the fact that its recommendation algorithms and search autocomplete suggestions can direct people towards more and more extreme content. You can bring someone from looking at moderate to libertarian content to getting it to these really fringe places. Or, you know, you can start out and just be directed toward a conspiracy theory when you're just trying to look for the news. But it actually goes deeper than the algorithm, and that's what I sort of focused on here. Aside from the algorithm, YouTube is sort of driven by audience feedback. So this comes down to likes, subscriptions, comments, all things that sort of gauge how engaged your your audience is with what you're making. And this was talked about in Becca Lewis's report, um, Alternative Influence, broadcasting the reactionary right on YouTube, where she sort of gets into these dynamics. And they can be used to explain a lot of why YouTube creators uh, want to make conspiracy theory videos and like extreme far-right fringe videos. Basically, these types of extreme videos elicit a reaction from people. And that type of thing can sort of drive creators to want to make more and more of that type of content. But also, at the same time, they're juggling a couple of different things that you have to balance carefully in order to sort of get success and gain traction on YouTube. You can't alienate too many people. But also, you want to sort of get a reaction and get this kind of engagement out of them But also, you have to remain authentic, and you have to at least make it seem like the views that you're presenting are your own, and you're coming from a really personal place. The content you're describing seems to fall in this kind of gray area where there's a sense of 
authenticity that these content creators are creating by making it seem like these are opinions of theirs or very personal stories and that that's actually allowing them to kind of skirt the rules of YouTube. But before we talk about that, what are the rules of YouTube? Like, are there consequences for posting misleading or counterfactual, hateful, conspiratorial content? Yeah. So per YouTube's community guidelines, you're really not supposed to be presenting content that you're presenting as true, that you're presenting as fact, that has the intention to mislead people. And there's already a couple of factors going on there. But probably the main mechanism that YouTubers use to avoid that rule, and Julia Alexander explained this in an article for The Verge, but basically if you present it as a possibility rather than as fact or something that you're just exploring as a person, an individual who has some sort of interest in the idea, then you can sort of skirt these regulations and the videos stay up. But in effect, it's accomplishing the same thing. So a big part of your piece talked about a YouTuber named Shane Dawson and sort of how he has skirted these rules and, you know, what type of content he's making and how he's been driven sort of back and forth to these extreme fringe places. Can you tell us his story? Right. So Shane Dawson is one of like the oldest titans in the YouTube community. He has over 20 million subscribers. He's been making videos for about 10 years. So the types of videos that Shane Dawson makes have always kind of varied. They've been sometimes challenge videos, Q&A, sort of the typical thing you'd expect from a personality-driven YouTube channel. But he also has been posting these videos for a couple of years about conspiracy theories. And most recently, he published, uh, posted, I guess, two feature-length videos that sort of explore conspiracy theories that vary in the amount of harm that they carry along with them and just how ridiculous they are. And one of them is almost two hours long. The other one is about 90 minutes long. And in one of the ones that I that I focused on in the article, he talks about conspiracies regarding the, the California wildfires back in November 2018. So there have been really fringe parts of YouTube that have said blatantly false things that they were, you know, that they were started by government weapons or shooting lasers out of the sky. But he also says, well, maybe they were burning down their houses for insurance money, or maybe the electric companies started blowing up people's microwaves. I mean, completely ridiculous things. But those same ideas have been promoted by channels that are also promoting these, you know, quote unquote, globalist conspiracy theories that a lot of times are anti-Semitic in nature and have really sweeping views about how the world falls into a particular order. And he doesn't link to these videos in the description, but if you do a simple search for some of the conspiracies that he brings up in these videos on YouTube, some of the comments will read, you know, Shane Dawson brought me here, uh, came here because of Shane. So, by making this video, he basically gave a big thumbs up to all of these really harmful, deep-running conspiracy theories that exist on certain parts of YouTube. So I understand that, as you explained, this type of fringe content garners attention, and so there's sort of the the views and the likes and, and that kind of attention that someone like Shane Dawson is getting. But what else is motivating him? Like, is he making money off of these videos? And if so, how? 
Right. So in making these conspiracy videos, Shane kind of knows that he's walking around these community guidelines very carefully and his videos could be demonetized, which theoretically would be a financial blow. But he also advertises for services within his actual video. So the risk of demonetization is sort of lessened for someone in his position because, you know, it's not just about the you know, the advertisements that play during the video. It's about what Shane is saying in the video that services pay for Shane to say. So for instance, within these feature length conspiracy videos, he advertises the services of Honey and SeatGeek by sort of riffing about them for a couple of seconds and talking about their services in a voiceover before he gets into the real content of the video. And services like that will pay you know, top dollar for someone with tens of millions of subscribers who are very loyal to view their advertisement and to listen to him promote it. It's interesting because this is such an important story and it's it's so illuminating to understand sort of the structural issues here with YouTube that are driving this kind of content. But it also, you know, would never want to take these people off the hook who are themselves the makers of it and perpetuating it. And so something I'm interested in is like, are some of the people driven to post extremist content just doing it for the attention and the money and they don't actually necessarily have these beliefs? Or are we starting from a place where we have people who have far right beliefs or fringe beliefs and then are kind of building off of that in order to gain attention and money? Right. So it's really hard to look at an individual YouTuber and figure out, you know, are they being genuine? Are they being authentic when their whole job is to portray that they're being authentic? But there are certain examples, aside from Shane Dawson, within the YouTube community that kind of shed some more light on this. I think a good example, um, and this was highlighted in Becca Lewis's Alternative Influence Report for Data and Society, um, there's this YouTuber named uh, Blair White, and she's a transgender woman who started out on YouTube by doing critiques of feminism. And then when she collaborated with more far-right figures, her content sort of took a hard turn and became really extreme fringe far-right content. And in September, I think it was, um, she posted a video and she basically said, I'm going to do fewer political videos because people in this community aren't authentic. They're just faking these really extreme views for the views um, and for engagement. Um, and I don't want any part of it. And also these videos don't make me happy, uh, blah, blah, blah. She actually continued to do and continues to do um, these extreme videos. But the point is that there have been people that have sort of been carefully walking along this line of how you balance maximizing engagement not alienating too many people and remaining authentic. Yeah, I want to talk about that line because another part of your piece was describing this sort of back and forth that is a trend or a pattern with these type of content creators. So, you know, not all of Shane Dawson's videos are these conspiracy videos. And then he'll post one and get so many views and he'll kind of pivot back and forth between different kinds of content. Why is this a trend? 
I mean, for someone like Shane Dawson, I mean, it would definitely be incorrect to define him as like a conspiracy channel. It's more of him like realizing that this particular genre works for him. But I think that there there's other examples of YouTubers that have actually gone full time from being this personality driven channel to being completely conspiracy driven. There's a channel, Mo Othman. He started out by doing, you know, pretty regular run of the mill challenges, Q&A, looking at internet content, that kind of thing, speaking to the camera. And then his conspiracy videos started getting disproportionately more views. And he pretty much pivoted to doing only that type of content. And he too, he's been carefully walking this line. He posted a video where he said, I don't want to do these anymore because conspiracies make me sad. And he's, again, he's continued to make conspiracy videos, but there's definitely this hesitance and the struggle to figure out exactly how to continue making this content that people really engage with. But also, you know, it's hard to gauge, is this authentic for them? What kind of response is happening? Am I alienating too many people? I think what is so scary to me about this is it's really hard to gauge the harm caused. We know like how many followers or views these videos or channels get. And so we can kind of see like, okay, how many people are consuming this content? But it's much harder to try to kind of quantify the effects. And so when it's so hard to gauge the effects, like how how are people thinking about solutions? And specifically, like what is YouTube doing to curb this problem? Right. So this problem of it being really difficult to gauge the effects, it being difficult to see how frequently people are getting radicalized. This is a problem on YouTube. And this is a problem really across like a lot of social media platforms. And for instance, you know, something we've been struggling with in terms of fake news is trying to figure out, well, do people actually believe what they're reading? You know, we know that we're seeing this content, but are they actually buying it? And I mean, in a place like YouTube, I mean, obviously what's unique about it algorithmically is that once you watch certain types of videos, YouTube recommends more types of videos that have to do with that same kind of thing. And YouTube has said that they're going to take steps to not recommend conspiracy videos as often, and we're going to see if something like that could be true. But those initiatives, um, they won't target videos that deal with hate speech, things that deal with far-right extreme fringe content. So that's a problem that's probably going to continue even in a best-case scenario with these algorithm changes. And also just the fact that we can't get these metrics, we don't really know what the effects are. That combined with the fact that, you know, these issues of YouTube being an engagement-driven platform, I mean, that just has to do with what YouTube is as a site as a platform. And even if you, you know, make some tweaks to the algorithm and people start getting recommended conspiracy videos less, those issues are going to remain. And those motivations for creators to create things that maximize engagement, that's going to remain. So it's really hard to say what the solution is. And it's really hard to say what the effects are. So there's just a lot of really challenging things that we're dealing with when we're thinking about this. Well, thank you so much, Caroline. Thanks for having me. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And make sure to tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.